Welcome to Chase Family Church. You're about to hear a message from one of our Sunday mornings, and we pray that God would bless it to you and to your family. Well, good morning, church. Um, hope you're enjoying the service this morning. Um, I'm just going to talk a bit about Elijah today, and I'm just going to perhaps look through some of the scriptures and uh, share a few thoughts. Um, if you've not read about Elijah before, read about him in 1 Kings um, 17, basically, and he, he appears there, and he, he, he's in the scriptures till at 2 Kings 2. Um, and I'll just tell you a bit about who he is. So, Elijah means, the name means, my God is the Lord, which is very apt when we look at what he got up to. Um, he was a Tishbite from Gilead, and uh, he is described in 1 Kings as zealous for the Lord God of hosts. He was passionate, he was energised, and he was enthused for God and his word, which stood out in a nation which had just seen Israel's worst king, King Ahab, come to power. Um, and we know he was the worst king because the Bible tells us. So in 1 Kings 16, we're told that he did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than any of the other kings of Israel that went before him. One of the things he did which, was, which angered the Lord so much was he married uh, a lady called Jezebel and she brought Baal worship into the nation of Israel, leading God's people astray from worshipping um, worshiping him. Elijah comes in to, to deal with that. He's sort of God's man for the, for the mission. And uh, we'll look into how, he, what God, how God uh, used him just in a moment. Um, he's only the second person to be taken directly into heaven without dying first, um, which is extraordinary. Uh, he also appeared at the transfiguration on the mount with Jesus. And if you want to read more about that, then you can look at Matthew chapter 17. Well, we're going to focus on the account of Elijah's life in the book of Kings. So if you'd like to turn with me to 1 Kings 17, um, or, or scroll through on your smartphones, um, we'll read that together. So I'll just start from uh, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. I think that's like first century Ubers and Deliveroo's and Just Eats. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. So we'll just pause there for a moment. Um, we've already said that King Ahab did more to um, provoke the Lord than any other king. Um, it's significant that the Lord sends Elijah to announce there's not going to be any rain for, until he says so. And the, the reason for this is one of the things that Baal was supposed to be in control of was the weather and the rain. So the Lord's saying straight away, that's, he's just debunking that as false because here's the man of God, Elijah, with a message for the king saying, I am not gonna, there's not going to be no rain until I say so. 
God wants to make it clear to Israel that all these other gods that come up throughout kings, throughout judges, they're just completely false and powerless when compared to the one true God. Obviously Ahab's displeased with this and so would seek to seize Elijah and, and presumably kill him. So God warns Elijah and, and guides him out into to the brook Cherith, which um not quite sure where, where that is, but it's obviously outside of King Ahab's sort of jurisdiction, if you like. Um, and it's there that he's fed and looked after by, by you know, ravens and he's feed, drinking from the brook. Um, let's, let's read on uh, from verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, apologies if I've murdered that, I probably have. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bitten of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day of the Lord sends rain of the earth, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. There's two points I want to make at this stage. First of all, Elijah was in the will of God throughout all of this. And we'll see he remains in the will of God as we continue to read on. He obeyed the call to go to Ahab and deliver God's word about the rain not coming. Um, and he listened to God's warnings to go into the wilderness uh, to, to avoid the king. It's clear to me that God will provide what we need when we are in his business operating in his will. Okay, he knew that Elijah would need food and drink, so he made provision in a very unconventional manner. Um, but nonetheless, Elijah was provided for and didn't lack what he needed whilst he was on God's business. And God will do the same for us. When we abide in his will and we walk in obedience to him, God will provide for us what we need. Not just, to do his, not just to do the work of the Lord in a specific moment, but anything we need, God will provide for us. Because he is our Father in heaven who knows what we need. We should be prepared for God to provide in unconventional means. You know, it might be that one day God might send ravens to feed you, I don't know. But just because God, it, it wasn't something that only happened then. God, God can use any way to achieve and accomplish what he wants to do. If we look at Matthew 6, 25-33, where Jesus is talking to uh, a crowd um, about not worrying and, and priorities, I've just got it here, I think um, the scripture may come up on the screen, 
Um, but it's, I'm just going to read from verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is, in, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All these things include food, clothing, all the human needs we, we have. And, we're, and what Jesus says, rather than seeking material things, our priority should always be God's kingdom. When we make seeking God our priority, we are choosing, we're making a decision of our will to establish God's will um, by reading the word through prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit. And then so once we've established it, we're then going and being obedient and walking in it. The Bible's clear that everything we need, God will provide. Paul says in Philippians my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In the same passage, which I won't go to, but Paul is often talking about how we need to learn to be content when we have plenty and when we have little. And here we are, we're looking at Elijah, who is on the run, so to speak, from the king, and a widow who is literally baking her last meal before she dies. Yet God is able to provide in both for both Elijah and the widow and the widow's son, so that none perish and they have food throughout the famine. And that sort of brings me on to my second point about responding in faith. Elijah responded in faith, uh, as we said, by following God's commands, first to go to Ahab, then to go out to the brook, and then to go to the widow. But the widow also acted in faith because she believed that Elijah, the word of the Lord that came through Elijah when, when he said the bin of flour should not be used up nor the jar of oil run dry so she in faith made that meal for Elijah and God's kept his word and they had food for many days so her situation was desperate she had already said look this is my last meal I'm going to die but nonetheless it still took faith to make food for a stranger when that food was for her son and her, the last meal. But she did it and she stepped out in faith. We know from Hebrews 11 that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And Hebrews is full of examples of, of, of men of faith and I really encourage you to go and read it if you've not done that before. But I'd also like to ask you a question. Are there areas in your life right now where God's calling you to take a step of faith or a step of faith is needed. Is there anything holding you back? 
are the decisions you have to take. If God might be calling you to take an option that on the face of it might not make sense, but might involve risk or potentially cost. I want to encourage you to take that step of faith because we walk by faith and not by sight. If the Lord's leading you, he will not leave you without what you need. He is not, uh, he's, he's a good father and he will always, always provide. Moving on, um, I won't read 1 Kings 18 because it's quite a long chapter, but I'll summarise it. And again, if, you've not, if you're not familiar with the story, I really encourage you to go away and read it. But this is kind of almost like, um, I sort of see this as like a key sequence in an action film, if you will. First of all, we've had Elijah come from nowhere, wandering into town, like the mysterious hero going straight to the king and telling him, look, because of what you've done, there's not going to be any rain. He runs away, but he comes in for the final, like the showdown, if you will. And um, Elijah says to the king, go and get these prophets of Baal, bring them to Mount Horeb, which is a variant name for Mount Sinai. So the place where Moses and the, and the Jewish people were all those, all those years ago. And the challenge is this, the 450 prophets of Baal and, and Elijah, so 450 verses one, they've both got a bull each and they need to prepare a sacrifice, but they can't set up a fire underneath it. They need to call on their gods to bring the fire, and whoever's, whichever god brings the fire, they're the true god. Everyone agrees, and they set it up. And because uh, Elijah's a gent, he lets, um, he lets the uh, Baal prophets go first. And after six hours of praying, of, of calling out to Baal, of you know ritual, um, nothing happens. There's nothing. Um, Elijah actually gets a bit cocky, starts mocking him. Where's your God? Is, you know, maybe, he's, maybe he's on a journey, he can't hear you. But it comes to Elijah's turn, and um, he gets everything set up in the same way, and then he actually commands that four jars of water are poured over the sacrifice, as if, you know, it wasn't hard enough to do it on your own. But he calls on God. He calls on God, and before all the people, God sends the fire that not only consumes the sacrifice, but licks up all the water that had appeared in the drench, uh, trench around it. And before, this is all before the king, and uh, the people recognize that God is the Lord, is the only God. The false prophets are then rounded up and executed in line with, with the law. And then um, after all this, Elijah then goes to King Ahab and says, look, you need to get out of here because there's a storm coming. In other words, I'm going to pray for rain and it's going to rain. So Ahab gets in his chariot and, and goes away. In fact, uh, no, we won't read that. Um, and then we'll, we'll pick it up. In, in fact, let's read it now. Uh, so I'm going to just read the last few verses of chapter 18. Uh, from verse 41. So then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, which is actually thinking about it quite a weird thing. He's sort of saying, Get ready to go, have you, and get out of here, there's rain coming. Um, Elijah then went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed down, he put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud 
as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he guided up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So, Elijah beats 450 prophets of Baal via the Lord, obviously. He then breaks the, the drought, uh, prays for rain to come, and after seven times it comes. And then to top it all off, he then the Lord you know, gives him the hand of the Lord's on him to then outrun by supernatural means the chariot and then get to Jezreel. Why no one's made the film, how's that made a film of that? It's beyond me. It sounds like a pretty, uh, it should be on Netflix, let's just put it that way. I want to make an application point and pick up on uh, prayer here. In James, um, Elijah is referred to as, as an example of prayer. Um, I just quickly, don't have to turn to it, I'll quickly read it. And I've read it loads of times, and, and it's talking about how um, the effective, this is in James 5, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. A couple of points here, if we, you know, if following Elijah's example. Elijah was a man just like us. Okay, sometimes it's easy to think that because we're not um, we're not in the Bible, or we're not. We might just think we're rank and file Christians, and we can't pray in the same way as prophets or significant leaders or whoever. But that's not the case. Elijah was no different to you or I. He was just faithful to God, and he was he prayed in faith. He believed he would receive what he was praying for. You know, he demonstrated that by telling Ahab, "Look, you need to get ready. There's rain coming." That was before he prayed. He knew that God would answer the prayer because God had already promised to do so. But nonetheless, he still prayed for it. And we should be the same. Even though we have promises for God, let's pray for their fulfillment. And let's be persistent. You know, Elijah prayed seven times and it was only then a small cloud appeared on the horizon. Sometimes it takes us the persistence to pray, to see, God's, to, to see God move. And so, you know, Elijah had to pray seven times and we might well be the same. A fervent prayer, you know, is having energy. And it doesn't mean shouting at the top of your voice. But there's an intensity, there's an earnestness in seeking God when we pray. You know, we need to be not whipping ourselves up into a frenzy. It's not about that. It's not performance. But it's about coming to God with a passion, with something inside that says, God, I'm coming to you because I know you can do this. It's nothing I can do. I recognize that you can do it. And I'm asking you to move, Lord, that you will be glorified and that your will would be done. I think it's an intensity that actually only comes when we walk with the Lord daily. And there's no substitute for a devotional life with the Lord. And we should really take care to invest time, as we've already said, establishing God's will by reading the word, studying God's character, studying his word, his teachings, listening to the Holy Spirit. We can also look at how he 
positioned himself in prayer in humility, face between his knees. That picture in my mind just sounds really awkward. But he was just saying to God, look, it's all about you. I just completely humble myself before you, the living God. So the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Okay, not just for Elijah. It's for you and me, okay? I'd like to move on to 1 Kings 19 to raise up the last couple of points I'd like to bring this morning. And I'm just going to read, uh, I'm going to pick up from the start of 19 uh, through to, um, to about verse 18. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So Jezebel's heard that Elijah's uh, rounded up the prophets of Baal and executed them, and now she's threatening to do the same to him. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and the jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. That's actually the Mount Sinai thing, sorry, they're at Mount Carmel before. Slight typo, apologies. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go and go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and, woke, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as the king over Syria. Also you should anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, Shall anoint you as, as you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. 
Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Despite comprehensively beating the prophets of Baal in chapter 18, all it takes is a, like a, a death threat from Jezebel to send Elijah running. And he flees to the southernmost point in the kingdom of Judah, which is Bathsheba. And you might ask, how can a mighty man of God be so dejected and depressed so quickly after what he's just done? Well, just reading through there, I think Elijah's just despondent because he's gone ahead and obeyed God. He's gone what God has asked him to do. And yet the net result is people want him dead, which arguably they wanted him dead before, but it hasn't changed that. And he was frightened um, that he, he thought he was the only person in Israel left fighting God's corner. He was tired of doing so in a nation which he perceived didn't want to know. And rather than kind of, you know, respond with a kind of almost like, there, there, Elijah, it's okay, or you've had a hard time of it, God straight back on it and said, right, look, come on, get up. We've got work to do here. Go and, go and anoint this person, go and anoint this person, and go and do this. And you must know that there are 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. In other words, you are not alone, Elijah. God's response to Elijah is, one of gen- is a gentle one rather than a rebuke for a lack of faith or courage or anything like that. With a gentle whisper, God's given him another assignment. And reading this, it reminded me of Hebrews 4, where Jesus is described as our high priest who can sympathize with our weakness because he was a man just like us walking on this earth. He knows, he gets it. And because of that, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy in times of need. And I think for Elijah, that's what he needed, he needed that grace. You might think sometimes you're alone walking with in, in your walking with God, you might be at school, you might be at work, wherever, at home with your family. You might be the only Christian. And you might feel like you are on your own, because in many ways you are. But when you're a Christian, you're in part of God's family. So whilst in that immediate situation you might be the only Christian, you're part of a bigger family. When Jesus is the head of the church, you're part of that church. You're part of a body that, of believers, a part of a family that goes beyond Maybe you're in ministry or you're praying for people and you're discouraged and you're feeling despondent because things aren't where you think they ought to be. You're not seeing numbers or there's no progress in people's lives and people aren't coming, coming to faith or things you're praying for aren't happening. But what is the key thing here? It's obedience and faithfulness. Um, so there was one time... I was at work one day, and I can't really remember what had happened. I was trying really hard to, to obey God and try to do what he wanted me to do. And whatever it was, I completely messed it up. Whether it was something I didn't do or I said the wrong thing, I just was kicking myself and was feeling so flat. And I don't know if you get times like this. Um, I felt the Lord... I was about to go into pity party mode. I was like, Lord, da, da, da. And he, I, said, I said something like, Lord, you know my heart. And he said, so Lord, I, I've struggled here. And he, I messed it up. And he said, yes, I know your heart. And that was it. That was it. Kind of, boom. I know your heart. Let's move on. And other times I've felt flat. And I've really kind of struggled. And I'm kind of looking for some sort of, I want to lick my wounds a bit. I want the, the Lord to listen in and kind of 
And maybe there's a time and a place for that, but this particular time, I felt just, I picked up my Bible and I started reading Romans, which is like, you know, be a living sacrifice, do this, do that, and that this, that, and the other. And that's all I needed. It's, I don't know if that makes sense, but I kind of just needed some sort of sense of, let's just get back on it. Because God doesn't want us to dwell on our failures because he's not dwelling on our failures. Nothing comes of it. God's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to carry on, all right? And it might seem harsh to talk about failures in the context of Elijah because he hasn't failed. I think the concept, the point I'm trying to make is even when we feel we've failed or we feel afraid or we feel like we've just given up and we, we're rubbish, insert whatever here, God will come alongside us like a gentle voice, asking us gently where we are, and he'll help us to carry on. He'll give us the assurance we need, like Elijah needed to know, you're not alone. He'll say, let's keep going and be together in this. There is no other God but our God. And Baal was quickly exposed as a complete false God and you know, in front of all of Israel. God is concerned with the moral welfare of nations. We see this because every time, uh, as, as the worst king came to power, Elijah was sent to intervene. Let's be expectant that when God guides us, he will provide for us. And let's be open to God's unconventional ways of doing that. Let's be always in the will of God like Elijah was. Let's respond in faith to God's word like the widow did. And let's step out in faith and obedience to the Lord. Being assured of what we cannot see and having confidence in it as well, Lord. Having faith. I'm going to pray and then we're going to have some worship from the Roardings. I'm going to build my life. Lord, I want to pray you'd help us to establish your will for us in, in our, your will for us. That we'd learn to know your will better, we'd understand your word better, we'd be tuned into your Holy Spirit, that we'd have the courage to go, that we'd be prepared to step out, in, especially in a world where, you know, um, your truth is, is under attack. Um, but I pray, Lord, that people, we'd be able to walk in your power and demonstrate your power by the Holy Spirit. You'd use us as you see fit, Lord. We're not here to tell you what to do, far from it. But that we'd submit to you, we'd walk in obedience to your will. And that, Lord, your name would be glorified and your kingdom would come. I want to pray for anyone who's despondent or discouraged this morning for whatever reason. And I want to pray that they would be, they'd come before you, Lord, as, as the great high priest. And that they would receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. That they'd be built up in prayer, built up through fellowship with you, built up through fellowship with the church. We might not be able to meet physically, but we can still pray for one another. We can still meet on Zoom. We can still, we can meet in small groups. There are ways to meet. And I pray that you'd help us to make the most of those. Jesus, I love you. And we love you. And we want to give you everything we can. And I thank you that even when we mess up and we stumble, you're not there to kind of sit us down and say, well, look, you didn't get that right. Actually, that wasn't very good at all. We might want to have those moments, but Lord, you're just there to help us to carry on. You're not there constantly reminding us of our failures. You're only looking ahead and showing us what we can be. Like Gideon, who was hiding in a wine press we looked at last week. Um, he was made a mighty man of God because that's who you saw him as. So Lord, we I'll commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to the message today and pray that it would bless you in your life. And if you have any questions you would like to ask, then please email info at chasefamilychurch.com.